0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, Keeley. Hey, Chris. Welcome to
1: Hurt It on the Sidelines. Hurt It. Hurt It on the sideline with Shotgun Spratly. Spratly. That's right. We're back with another episode of the Hurt It on the Sidelines podcast. I'm your host, Shotgun Spatling, coming to you from a hotel room in Indianapolis where I'm holed up covering the NCAA College Basketball Tournament, and I'm now awaiting the Elite Eight where USC basketball has advanced for the first time in 20 years and only the second time since the NCAA expanded the tournament in 1975. We've got a fun guest with an interesting perspective on today's episode that I think you guys will appreciate. But first, I've got to thank Keely and Chris for the intro and to everyone that's returning to listen. For anyone joining us for the first time, the It on the Sidelines podcast is a part of the Peristyle podcast family. It's the podcast where we discuss what's going on at USC, but also try to pull back the curtain to give you an insider's perspective from the people around the USC athletics programs. On today's podcast, we're talking with a familiar face and someone I know has been following USC's tournament run closely. That'd be former Trojan staff member and assistant Martin Bahar, who's now an assistant coach at San Diego. We'll talk to Martin about his takeaways from watching the Trojans' March Madness success, including the Mobley brothers that he helped recruit to USC. We'll also talk with USC's former director of scouting about putting together game plans in an NCAA tournament setting and pick his brain about the Trojans' Elite Eight opponent, Gonzaga, who Bahar and San Diego have faced in West Coast Conference play. But first, my two positives and a negative. Number one – everyone is pitching in for USC. You're seeing contributions up and down the USC roster during their run to the elite eight. They're getting great effort, great energy, great contributions from everyone. Isaiah white was the big one on Sunday against Oregon in the sweet 16. He had 22 points to tie his season high, but it wasn't just the scoring. It was the, what, the energy that he provided early in the game. USC started off a little slow, a little tentative, a little bit of sweet 16 jitters, maybe. Well, Isaiah White, the senior, stepped up. He was all over the place, flying around the ball, grabbing rebounds, loose balls, but then also he scored seven of the first nine points for USC, and then the offense started rolling. He hits a three-pointer to give him ten points, and that's significant because USC is now – 8-0 when he gets to 10 points. That's the interesting thing about this team. When they're getting contributions from multiple people is when they're at their best. It's not when Evan Mobley takes over and dominates a game and tries to score 25 or 30 points. Or The same thing with Tajidi. It's when they're getting 10 to 15 from 3 to 4 to 5 people. USC is now 22-0 this season when at least 3 players score in double figures. and That includes Tajidi last night who had 20 points. He's quietly averaging 13.7 Thirteen point seven points. He had ten assists in the in the NCAA tournament opener, and then we got to talk about Isaiah Mobley. He had another thirteen points last night, quietly kind of thirteen points. He's nine to twelve now in threes in the postseason, dating back to the Pac twelve tournament. He's averaging fifteen points per game in the NCAA tournament. And there's a guy named Evan Mobley who's just doing it all for USC. But they're also getting contributions from Drew Peterson on the defensive end. Max Agbon-Polo comes in and knocks down a three. They're getting contributions from everyone up and down the roster. And that's why USC has been able to put together this run to the Elite Eight. My number two positive is Andy Enfield now has the most NCAA tournament wins of any USC coach. I think this coaching staff deserves a ton of credit for the way that they put together this roster. Andy, as well as the assistant coaches, they've done a remarkable job, especially with the complications from COVID that made putting together a roster when they were completely overhauling it once again – you know, that much more difficult. They put together Russia without being able to meet several of the players in person until August. They had to rely on doing investigative work, talking to people around the players to find out their character, even more so than normal. Normally you want to talk to some people and find out, but you get that firsthand experience of meeting with a player, seeing how they interact with others. Well, USC didn't have that opportunity. So to be able to find character guys that fit into the culture that they built here the last couple years has been phenomenal. And then for all those guys to also be able to fulfill their roles, whether it's Chavez Goodwin coming off the bench with some energy and doing the yeoman's work down low, whether it's Isaiah White with what he's been able to do being the heart of the team in that starting lineup, Tajidi being a quick bucket. you know They found a number of guys that have fit in really well and it's not just that USC has a lottery pick in Evan Mobley, it's that they've constructed a roster, around round Mobley and have found success in this NCAA tournament. Now my negative USC goes into the lead eight and they're going to play Gonzaga. You know, they have a potentially historic opponent on the other side of the court. This, this upcoming game, Gonzaga comes in undefeated. They're going for that rare mark of being able to go through an entire season undefeated. They have three All-Americans in their starting lineup, which is absurd. They're scoring around 92 points per game, shooting 55% from the field, Both of those are first in the nation. What I love about the Bulldogs is they share the basketball so well. They have 19 assists per game, second in the nation. They move the ball. They try to force the tempo. They push it constantly. They get you on your heels as a defense. And, you know, their offense is just so difficult to defend because they are constantly attacking you for 40 minutes. So we'll see if USC can match up with them. Now, USC may be the toughest matchup remaining in the NCAA tournament of the teams that remain for Gonzaga just because they're so long and they play such dynamic defense themselves. So it should be a strength versus strength matchup. Should be a really interesting one to watch. USC enters with the number four field goal percentage defense in the nation. And it's the best all time right now two-point percentage offense versus the nation's best two-point defense so it's going to be strength against strength like I said how USC does on the other end on their offensive end taking care of the basketball and knocking down shots if they can do those two things that slows Gonzaga having to force them to get the ball out of the basket rather than get in transition get some easy buckets so that's going to be a big important thing for USC but without further ado Let's now welcome in our guest on the Hurt on the Sidelines podcast, University of San Diego assistant and former USC assistant coach Martin Bahar to give us some insights on the Trojans and their Elite Eight opponent, Gonzaga. Marty, thanks for taking the time to jump jump on with us during this busy transfer recruiting period with so many guys entering the portal. I know you guys just picked up a a transfer. Congratulations on that one as well. I know you guys are working really hard down there at USD to, to put together a competitive program, trying to make it to the NCAA tournament. You're seeing a team that you were formerly a part of USC uh, making it and making it to the elite eight right now. What is watching from afar? What's kind of impressed you so far about the, the Trojans tournament run?
0: What's impressed me the most has been the team, the coaching staff's complete love of life and love of competing. Their synergy is off the charts right now. The way they find different ways to win night in and night out has been remarkable. And it's what teams that make deep runs in the NCAA tournament do different guys step up at different points. You look at Isaiah white the other night, he was fantastic from three playing with great energy. Isaiah Mobley has taken his game to the next level since the PAC 12 tournament. So the fun part for me is just seeing the energy and excitement and the unwavering confidence that they've been playing with. It's been incredibly fun to watch
1: their confidence is just taken to another level during the NCAA tournament. It seems like everyone's playing at a different level, as far as their confidence shooting shots that maybe they, they passed up during the regular season. How does that happen during a, a, the progression of a season when you're coaching a team? How do you try to build that confidence in players and, you know, to see it happen at a time like this, is it surprising at all to, to see a team really take off like they are in the NCAA tournament?
0: You know, my only deep, ncaa tournament run was that georgetown and we went to the final four that was in 2007 with roy herbert and jeff and there was a moment we were playing great basketball for the majority of the year there was a moment in the big east tournament where we just took it to another level and and i get that feeling with usc heading into this gonzaga game i think these guys really like each other and their best player who's going to be a top two pick who I still get texts and calls from NBA people about, obviously, even though I'm at San Diego, he's incredibly unselfish. He's unselfish. He impacts winning without having to put the ball in the basket and touch the ball, every possession. So in the modern era, when you have a best player who can impact winning in so many different ways, it just helps share enjoyment throughout the entire roster. So I think about, Noah Bauman being ready to play and making it three at the end of the half, like he did. I think that was two weeks ago now. Uh, seeing Max Ekbankpilo being able to impact winning, guys who have just found ways to impact winning in different ways. It starts with your best player, who's Evan Mobley. Now, a young man named Tajidi has taken his game to an unbelievable level, too. And so, and Taj is a scoring guard who's incredibly unselfish, also who just plays with excitement and energy. He doesn't have to shoot every shot. So you talk about Evan Mobley and Taj Eady. They're terrific talents who are very unselfish. That helps teams get to the next level in the modern era. When you play on selfish, competitive basketball, that's when any team at any level looks at its best.
1: Yeah, you know, What's it been like for you watching the Mobley brothers this season, knowing you have a relationship with the family, you were part of the recruiting efforts to bring them to USC, When they were just starting their high school careers, when USC was recruiting them, what's it been like watching from afar and and seeing guys that you helped bring to USC really excelling for them?
0: I just have so much joy watching them. You know, my wife and I were on the couch watching late last night. They play the game the right way. They compete. Eric and Nicole are beautiful human beings. You know, I always joke with Eric. He's a renaissance man. This guy boogie boards. He motorcycles. He bicycles. He does everything. And he's two of the best kids ever who are completely different personality wise. Watching Isaiah Mobley take his game to the next level here the last two and a half, three weeks has been amazing because it could be a point in his career now where there's no looking back. And that's really exciting. But couldn't be happier for Eric, Nicole and their entire family. They're great people. Uh, We miss them. My wife and I still talk about going to France and how much fun we had with them. The summer before last year's great season, we were on that international tour and really got to know Nicole more. And then, you know, we obviously see them on TV, her and a lot of the families from the team. And it's uh, it's just really exciting. I I couldn't be happier for them. It feels the energy that that program is exuding right now is just how do you not how do you not love it?
1: You talk about the energy, you talk about the way they're playing right now. Are you in contact with some of those former USC players that helped build this program on Randy Infield, the Jordan McLaughlins, the Benny Boatwrights, Shemezzi? Have you been in contact with those guys? And what's kind of been the, the conversation like with, with those guys watching this run uh, from afar?
0: No, I mean, Shemezzi and, and Jordan McLaughlin and Benny Boatwright have been exceptional. They're so excited. They're vocal on Twitter about it and as they're pursuing their own professional careers, you know, we made a great run in sixteen seventeen. we ran into Baylor. We had won two tournament games, but you have to be special, special, special to get over the hump this late in March, this US team, USC team has done that. You know, I think it's the second elite eight since 1962. They reached their fifth sweet 16 in history. So Chemezi, J-Mac, Benny, those guys, Elijah Stewart, I talked to in Poland last week. They are well aware of how this team looks and they're doing it in a different way, which is really fun. They grind, they grind out wins. You think a game is going to slip away. They keep grinding different guys. Step up. They enjoy team defense and it obviously really helps that that length that they have at multiple positions, which intimidates and impacts other teams shots in so many special ways.
1: Take us back to that 2016-2017 season. USC wins two games, starting the first four in the NCAA tournament. They fall to Baylor in a close game. You were director of scouting at the time. So what's it like – Trying to prepare for a new opponent basically every other day um, in, in a stretch like that. Take us, you know, behind the curtain as far as a coach when you're in a tournament setting like this. How do you prepare a little bit beforehand for the opponents you may face, but then also the quick turnaround? I mean, Andy Infield talked this morning, uh, you know, about having the late game and then having an early practice, being up till four a.m. watching some film as much as he could to try to put in a game plan. What's it like as a coach during this time?
0: You you have to be great at planning ahead and organizing, okay? So one assistant will take the lead in a tournament setting. Another, and we'll have the help. Usually Andy had another assistant helping. So usually you go, a third of the scouts go to each of the assistants because there's three. What Andy would do is he'd have two assistants scouting for one game. Then another assistant is preparing for the next game, okay? So by the time their game ended late last night, the Gonzaga scout was already done. Okay, so um, I think Jason Hart was taking the lead on the Gonzaga scout in case they won. Nick Hamilton and Kirk Karras and Desmond Farmer are helping with the preparations for that Gonzaga scout while they're helping prepare uh, for Oregon last night. So then today comes you probably add some clips from Gonzaga's most recent game to the film you're going to watch with the team or in their case, they watched it actually late last night. You have the clips ready. Your scout is already prepared. Jay Hart's already been grinding out that scout with the director as a scouting and the graduate assistants. So then you're just into pre- preparation mode. So late last night, I'm sure Andy had already received the scout with the plays, the personnel, the tendencies, the offense, the defense, and then they showed it to the team last night, and then they obviously practiced today. So you're preparing ahead in tournament settings. Once you win your first two tournament games, you had a, they had, a, what, about five days in between? So you have that time to prepare for Oregon and Gonzaga but the majority of the program's focus is on Oregon because you have to win to uh, move on.
1: You think you, when USC plays Oregon, since they have played them earlier this year, that even helps a little bit more? Uh, you can kind of focus on that next game if you make it there. Obviously, you don't want to look ahead, but just to, to get, get an extra advanced scout in with the fact that you, you've played Oregon, you know what they're about.
0: Yeah, I think that really that does help. Crazy things happen in the tournament. So like you said, you never want to look ahead. But, yeah, you already played against Oregon. They only played them once this year, though, correct? They had a feel for them. Um, So you already knew Oregon, but you have to prepare and expect Oregon's best game. So what have they done better since the time they actually beat them pretty handily at home? What have they done better to make this NCAA tournament run? Now, they obviously they had a forfeit victory. But, you know, we're talking about Pac-12 tournament, end of season success, and then NCAA tournament success, because sometimes a lineup may change, a certain defensive strategy may change late in the season if it's working, as we've seen with USC's zone defense here, which has been absolutely intimidating. So you're focused on Oregon, but then the, another assistant is already preparing Gonzaga because you do only have one day to prepare.
1: You mentioned the 2-3 zone. How much of an imprint do you see uh, from Jason Hart on that 2-3 zone, obviously playing at Syracuse, playing in the, the Jim Bayheim zone? You know, USC's had so much success with it. Andy even talked about how they played basically 90% man during the regular season, and this is something that's developed partially because of the teams they were playing, but I think also just because of the energy they're playing with it. They're flying everywhere right now. How much do you see uh, a little bit of Jason Hart out there, though?
0: No, a ton of Jason Hart. The zone is on fire. That's a Jason Hart line. The zone is popping, okay? Not a lot of people across the country, and especially on the West Coast, have a 2-3 zone. Okay? It's just a fact. Then you add to it the length that you see. Okay? You have Drew Peterson at the top of the zone. He's six-eight and long. You have Isaiah White, Isaiah Mobley, Max polo Chavez Goodwin, Evan Mobley. That's your back line. When you shoot a shot, there is a hand in your face. I was thinking of the play last night. I was talking to a coaching friend. Drew Peterson flew and contested a shot. They threw it to the corner, and then it was one of those bad calls where I think the kid leaned in. They drew a foul on. I think it was Isaiah White. But the fact that a six eight kid like Drew Peterson can fly and contest, get him off the line, funnel everything into Evan and in your forwards. There's just so much length and mobility and activity. It's shot intimidation every time you shoot it. Now. USC is shooting very well from three right now also, and that's important because when you're in that zone and you're funneling people into the, inside the three-point line, they're shooting two-point shots, so it helps you even more. They're settling for that free-throw line shot. They're not taking uncontested threes, so you're giving up some two-point shots knowing that you're making some threes at a high clip right now because they've really gotten hot from three these last couple of weeks, it seems like.
1: Yeah, and they're going to face a a team in Gonzaga that has the number one two-point percentage uh, in the country, the number one right right now I think of all time two-point percentage against the best uh, two-point percentage defense in the nation. So a really intriguing matchup. Let's jump over to the other side of Gonzaga, a team you're familiar with. You've played them the last two seasons at USD. What stands out about the Bulldogs to you? I mean, they've got talent everywhere, but what in particular stands out uh, from the Zags?
0: Breathtaking in transition, uh, historically unselfish and talented. Okay, They're at the apex of unselfishness and talent, and they get the ball out. And you wonder why their two-point percentage is so good? Because before you can turn your neck, they're already downhill getting a layup, right? So historically unselfish and talented. They can make shots, but they don't have to make threes to beat you, okay? They don't have to make 15 threes to beat you. One, because transition offense, you get threes, but you also get layups. Two, because Drew Timmy has been absolutely unbelievable all season from start to finish. When they're beaten those high major teams, he was playing terrific. When they got through our league, he was playing terrific, and he's still playing terrific. The way they compete together at that high level of talent. Okay, Andrew Nemhard was starting at Florida. Now he's starting now, but he wasn't starting all year. Okay. Aaron Cook was a really good player. He's their seventh man. He was a really good player at Southern Illinois. Anton Watson was starting. Now he's coming off the bench a little bit. Joel Ayayi was a pro prospect and still is one. He's just taking a different role. And then of course, you talk about Jalen Suggs, consensus top three pick and Corey Kispert, whose shot making quickness and athleticism are just supreme. And he should be a lottery pick too, it looks like. So Their talent and unselfishness is remarkable, and they're so fast and so well conditioned, unlike any team I've ever seen. The ability to get the rebound and go uh, from four perimeter positions to push to the break is really fantastic. So their speed and conditioning especially stands out, and you talk about that two-point field goal percentage defense. When you're at the rim and you're in the
1: paint like crazy, that helps your numbers go up. Yeah, definitely. When you get a layup on a fast break or a dunk, you know, the, the, those uh, percentages are usually really high, you know, their, their offense scoring over uh, 92 points a game. Like you said, they're really quick with their pace. Can anyone slow down their offense? I mean, obviously it's much easier said than done, but what would be the game plan to stop that? Is it just start with making shots yourself? Yeah, you have to score. They're going to score. Now, you want to be, honestly,
0: you want to be between 75 and 80 versus 90, and that's hard to do. You can't, you got to, I think, sacrifice good shots for great shots on offense. You have to be terrific in transition defense. And quite frankly, they have not seen a lot of zone this year. So, you know, your zone needs to be popping, like Jay Hart says. I mean, you know, you have to use your length, get them off the line, funnel them in, stay out of foul trouble, um, and then execute your stuff on offense. Again, it's much easier said than done. They're undefeated. They're a historic team. Um, they've done an amazing job this year against great competition, especially in non-conference. So uh, it's, you don't want to just dribble the air out of the ball, but you have to understand you got to substitute good shots for great shots for 40 minutes.
1: And with, with guys on the USC team, and you talked a little bit about it, the unselfishness, you, you think that USC potentially can do that. W- one thing that I think is interesting, and it has been interesting during the NCAA tournament run, is how difficult USC is to prepare for on short notice just because they're unique. I mean, their, their length, their height, you know, you talk about how you have Drew Peterson at six, eight at the, t- the top of the zone. You don't see that very often, but then on short notice, how much more difficult is, is that to prepare a team for as a coach, you can tell a player, Hey, look out for this, look out for that. But it's, it's different when you see it on, on the court uh, as a coach, how difficult do you think that is?
0: Yeah, you're right. And and when you don't see a ton of 2-3 zone during the season um, and then the 2-3 zone you do see has incredible length, quickness, athleticism, agility, shot contesting. It is very hard to prepare for. You have to think at this point, the way that Syracuse has had success with their zone defense, uh, especially in March, there's a reason for that. You know, obviously they're talented like USC, but it's really hard to prepare for. You have to understand that, you know, if you're going to settle for twos over the course of a game in that free throw line or in the short corners, well, that means a team that's in a good 2-3 zone can guard the three-point line. That means they can keep you bottled up because when you don't practice that 15-foot jumper or the short corner or the high-low all season, and then you go into the tournament and you have to be exceptional at it to win because you have to be exceptional this time of year, it's very hard to prepare for. And the way Andy has... And and Jason Hart and Chris Capco and Eric Mobley have scouted the opposing teams and and have come to an understanding of what they need to give up game by game, possession by possession over the course of 40 minutes has been brilliant. And and it's noticeable and people across the country are, are noticing it and talking about it.
1: All right, I'll, I'll let you go uh, with one more question. I know you probably got like six more Zoom recruiting calls to do, you know, hardest working man down there. in uh... All day. It's nonstop. <laughs> <laughs> trying to build that Toreros program down there. But but tell me, what do you think is the most important matchup in this game between USC and Gonzaga in the Elite Eight?
0: I really think they have to do a great job staying disciplined against Drew Timmy, okay? Drew, his ability to pivot, his ability to sh- – to, to make secondary moves in the post, to draw contact regularly, is remarkable. He's having a historic year. Uh, the way he uses the baseline, how nimble he is with his footwork, with his agility, as Lavin would say, he's like Baryshnikov out there, just, just dancing around people. They have to stay disciplined, okay? They want to try to keep him to his left hand as much as possible in the post. He's tremendous right-handed. He can score with both, obviously, but Staying disciplined, staying down, make him score over you. And then keeping heat on especially uh, Kispert in the half court because he can get going from three. Uh, and Ayayi has been getting going. He's around 40% now too. You know, but the matchup is with Drew Timmy. You got to keep him under control and stay disciplined so you don't have to double. Now, if it's in the zone, Timmy will, is going to duck in hard. You'll see a lot of actions on one side of the court. And as they bring it across, Timmy's going to duck in hard to Evan or Chavez at that center spot so they can create driving angles against the zone or high-low passes against the zone, too. So, you know, the centers are going to have their work cut out for him because that that kid competes for 40 minutes night in, night out. So that's what I'm going to be watching very seriously.
1: Well, Martin, thanks so much for the time. That's going to wrap it up for this edition of the It on the Sidelines podcast, part of the Peristyle Podcast family. I'm your host, Shotgun Spratling, saying thank you again to Martin Bahar for joining us, taking the time out of his busy schedule, and thank you all for listening. We'll hope you'll be back to join us for the next episode of the It on the Sidelines podcast.
0: From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives.
1: I am ready.
0: Anyone stronger? No. Ha! Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount Plus. Yes!